Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. I hope you are listening to this episode on a full stomach because I am about to make you hungry, very hungry. Listen in. Warm shrimp salad with butter beans, grilled soy glazed pork chops, strawberry rhubarb crisp. Are you drooling yet? If you want to dive into any of these divine dishes and more, please meet Jenny Rosenstrock. Jenny is a cookbook author, former food editor, and the creator of Dinner A Love Story, the award-winning website and newsletter devoted to the family dinner. An OG foodie, her articles and recipes have appeared in the New York Times, Food 52, Real Simple, Martha Stewart Living, and Bon Appetit, where she was a columnist for six years. Her latest cookbook, The Weekday Vegetarians, arrives at the end of August. Packed with easy, fresh, big, yum recipes, it will have you stocking your supermarket's veggie aisle with glee. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, so nice to be here. Uh, I am so excited to have you as a guest, and I have to just, you know, we're going to talk all things food in a minute, but I do want to just um, just share very quickly that I've been such a fan of yours since I started reading your blog. And when you agreed to come on the show, I was jumping up and down, screaming. And I texted my husband and my best friend, Katie. And I was like, guess who's coming on my show? Jenny from Dinner, a love story. Like, I, Can you say that louder so my children can hear you? <laughs> I, I knew they were the only two who would, like, share my excitement because my husband loves to cook. And my friend, Katie, loves to cook and loves to eat. And she knows how much I love you. So she actually gave me a copy of your cookbook not knowing that I had ordered it. So I actually have two copies of your cookbook on my kitchen shelf. So this Which is like- you have the uh, Dinner Love Story, the din- original? Yes, the, lo- the Dinner Love Story, the original. So this is this that's is a good. big thrill. Oh, well, thank you. That's, very, that's a very flattering introduction. So I appreciate it very much. Well, I've, I've been a total fan. Yeah, you, you launched, so your cook, that cookbook, the one that I'm talking about that I have two copies of, I think came out in 2012, but- you were a food editor before that, right? And you had um, worked on other cookbooks and had been doing the food thing for a while. I would love it if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your career and how you got started in food. Yeah, sure. I mean, I wasn't actually um, ever a food editor. I was an editor um, at, a ma- at a bunch of magazines, and I just always loved food. So I found my way somehow always like weaseling my way into the food department. Um, but back then, it was like before like blogs and the internet made everybody an expert like there were the food people and there were the writing and the word people and I was like the word person so you had to have like a degree from like you know a culinary school to work in the recipe developing department or you had to have a lot of experience in the kitchen and testing and and so like I was always the one who like kind of came up with the ideas for food stories and features but I wasn't the one actually developing the recipes that to me felt like something that like rocket scientists did. And I didn't realize like one day someone was like, oh, you can write your own recipe. And I was like, I can't do that. Are you crazy? That's like the food person thing, not the word person thing. And so anyway, it took me um, a little a, a little bit of time to like get the confidence to write recipes. But that began in magazines, like in the uh, early 2000s, I worked at Real Simple. And then at the magazine Cookie, which was a parenting magazine, um, I was doing the same thing, just editing food and features. And while I was there, I got a chance to work on a book about, um, I was, again, the word person, just making sure everything made sense in a story, in a book about feeding 
picky kids or not just picky kids, but just feeding your family. Sure, any kids. It's yeah. And and I loved it. I loved every second of working on it. And so when that magazine went under, I decided I wanted to figure out a way to write about that topic. I had two young girls at the time, eight and six, and I really um, loved to cook and I loved coming home and feeding them, which is, you know, I mean, not every day, obviously, but I found it to be more of a challenge than a source of stress. And I felt like maybe that would help people. So I launched Dinner Love Story with that in mind. And yeah, and then that just became um, my, you know, my journal basically to write about all things food and all things dinner and specifically feeding kids. But now those kids are both off to college in the next month. So it's going to have to do a little bit of redefining there. But so how, um, how old are they now? 17 and 19. Okay. So you've been doing this for almost a decade. And I think that really, like, that sort of aligns where, where my own kids were, because I have a 21-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 14-year-old. So right when you were doing the blog and you were, you know, I was I was a fan of the blog before I became a fan of your cookbook, because I, I too, like, I'm like, what? You guys want dinner again? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, every night? Come on. And <laughs> it's a challenge, because you work, you have, like, a full plate, you've got all this stuff. And, and part of, I think... Um, what really, you know, connected me to your work, and I'm sure to the rest of your audience, you've got a big audience, or that you made it super accessible. You obviously love food, you love your family, um, and you really kind of married those two, and you made us feel like we could do it. You know, we could really, we could feed our kids healthy, kind of fun mood, get, you know, food, get them into eating, get them into sitting around the table, and I think that was like a big part of the journey. But, I'm, you know, it's interesting, because I, I didn't realize, or maybe I, I knew and forgot, that you were more of the word person versus the recipe person. So... When you were creating your own um, food as your kids grew up, and now you're creating your own cookbooks, do do you rely on other like cookbooks and cooking shows for inspiration, or or do you have you now stepped into like test driving your own recipes and sort of creating things from scratch, or is it an amalgamation? Oh, I mean, it's a very mysterious process how recipes get invented, but I mean, yes to all yes to all the things you said. Like, I get ideas from um, from cookbooks from from my friends, from Instagram, from restaurants, like, you know, from watching what my kids order at Chipotle, you know, like, I mean, it's sort of this, I don't really understand how it works, but now I'm fully, um, I'm fully a recipe person and a word person, I think. So like, but I was just talking about this with someone, another recipe developer, how like funny the process is that like, because the reason why I like to think that people like my recipes is because they're, they're at 100% the recipes that I cook for my family. And often they're just like, you know, like if no one's watching what you're cooking, you're making the simplest food, you know, you're making like a roast chicken and some, you know, maybe roast carrots with, um, you know, like some sort of fun herb and, and a green salad, you know? And so like, that's a dinner and like people want accessible, simple wholesome delicious food and that's the only way I know how to cook and so it's the only way only kind of recipe I write and um so you know like often I'll just like I'll I'll make something I'll have something in my head and I'll make it and then I'll put it on the table and be like this is really good like I, maybe I should write this up for the next book and then I, I you know for the life of me I can't remember what I did like it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> it should be thinking. so then I have to recreate it and it's never like exactly the same like I never use recipes when I'm cooking for myself unless it's like you know autolenghi or something complicated um um but it's just it's interesting so I I just feel like 
I do try to li- listen to myself when, when something is really simple and delicious, I try to m- just flag it, just say, this is something that's a dinner love story recipe because people will actually make it like for a, those nights that you're talking about, just like busy nights and nights when you don't feel like cooking. Yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, part of what I like, part of what I think I always connected with, with your recipes and your food, it reminds me of why I like Mark Bittman, you know, or why I like, um, <laughs> Uh, the Barefoot Contessa, because it's just delicious food that's pretty straightforward. And, and, and it's sort of, I don't want to say it's easy to make because I have messed up <laughs> everybody's recipes, but it really, it does feel like it's in, uh, it's it's possible and it's accessible. It's not like, um, like a puree or a foam or, or something complicated. Yeah. I mean, I do <laughs> foam. That would be funny. Uh, <laughs> I do feel like what kind of what's the point if you're making food that most people don't have time to cook you know I mean there's a place for that like there's some people who are lucky enough to just love the process of cooking and I do I'm like that sometimes like on the weekends I love to like figure out what I'm gonna make in the morning and then maybe like go to some specialty market and shop for it and then like you know do whatever like an hour of marinating and if I have time I like it but the reality is in our lives most people do not have that time and so the ones that I try to um, latch onto are the, you know, the ones that don't take a lot of, in- that don't require a lot of ingredients and don't require a lot of time. And then, but are also healthy and, 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 you know, hopefully family friendly, but that's, it's a lot. And I know, I don't expect what, every recipe to hit every mark, but, but I try my hardest. And there's so many options. So I have a question for you because I have a shelf full of cookbooks in my kitchens. I I love cookbooks. I love looking at the pictures. I love hearing the stories. I love how cookbooks today, including your own, have become almost like memoirs where you really, you, you learn a lot about someone's personality, about how they entertain, how they, how they feed their family. And I just, I really adore them, but I have absolutely no knowledge about how like one gets made. So I would love it if you would just share that with us. You know, do you test, I know every test, every recipe in your books have been tested in your own kitchen, eaten by your family, but do you test them multiple po- times? Do you, do you choose recipes for your cookbooks that you know are going to photograph well, you know, yeah, or, or do you? It's, um, it's ha- different for every book, but I mean, I would say the first book I wrote, Dinner Love Story, um, was the easiest book I ever wrote because it followed, I, I kept a journal um, where I wrote down every single recipe. I wrote down every single dinner I made from like February of 1998 until I'm still keeping it. So until now, um, so that's what twenty three years worth of dinners. I don't put recipes in that. I just write exactly what I made. Hey, wait, I have to stop you. This is a very big journal. <laughs> Where are you? Getting- <laughs> it's actually not. It's actually two, it's two volumes now. But even believe it or not, you can fit like you know twenty five dinners on one page. And if you go back and forth, back and front, then it's actually like I I put like I think probably about twelve years in one journal. So that's it's, amazing. I love that. It's, it's really fun. It's deranged. I realize, but it's also like it made <laughs> it made writing the first book so easy because I was like, oh, I'll just look at the journal on the ones that come up over and over and over again. I know are the ones that are the hits, and so that was really easy because I was just like, and it was also like this book that was just ready to pour out of me because I had, it was my first book. You know, this last book, this the latest book that I wrote the weekday vegetarians is all about how, you know, my meat obsessed family or not meat obsessed, but like how, like it's a shake shack loving family, put it that way. How we all just kind of decided that we were eating too much meat and we wanted to dial back. Um, and yet still not give up meat entirely. So we sort of came up with this 
loose rule that we would only eat meat on special occasions or on the weekend. And so from Monday to Friday, every dinner and every meal mostly was, was plant-based. And so that's the book is called the weekday vegetarians. And it's all about that. And this book was just a completely different process of writing because I was writing it as I was figuring it out myself, um, which, which was fun. You know, it was like, um, I've already, you know, I, it w- went to the printer three months ago and I already have like a million more things I would add to it. So it's more like a, um, a day-to-day journal as opposed to, you know, what I, um, my first book, which was like a, in summation, here's everything that I've learned so far. So they're, they're all different, but then like the, the, to get to your question about testing the recipes, like I will, I have a team of testers who are pretty casual they're not professionals. They're like just people who I trust a lot and they love to cook and they have kids um, or they have people who, who they're feeding at their table, like who are um, slightly challenging maybe um, because I just want to make sure that these recipes feel real sure. and that they, and that the people are actually eating them. So I really, you know, for my old books, I had professional testers and they they were great, but um but yeah, so that, I mean, that, I don't know if that's, that's a so long fascinating answer. professional tester. That sounds like a really kind of a fun career. Um, yeah, what about probably- the photography? Do you pick the photographer? Does the, um, you know, the publisher pick the photographer? How does that work? It can be either one, but mostly um, just because I'm so enmeshed in the food world. I know a lot of people and I've worked with a lot of different photographers and the photographer at I worked with on this last book um, on the weekday vegetarians is Christine Hahn and she's just remarkable. She's so easy to work with and she shoots food really beautifully, but she also shoots lifestyle, which I like. So there's like so much energy and good light and happiness in all of her photos. And I really wanted to communicate that. Um, and so she was, she's just a wonderful person to work for, but, but yes, the publisher has to sign off. It's very important that the photographs, um, look good in a cookbook. Yeah, I, that's a, for me such a big draw. It really pulls me in, and I love uh, that's the when you said lifestyle. That's the feeling on your website because your website has, you know, it looks like there's sort of like a cutting board as the backdrop, and there are you know you know napkins, and there's just it, you know there's like a chalkboard feel, and you feel like you're actually in somebody's home. And I think to see uh, the food sort of plated and styled that way makes it so inviting. I and. I love that. I'm excited. It's real. It's real. <laughs> I'm excited for everyone to uh, get a chance to see this. I am so curious, though. I want to hear a little bit more about your family's pivot into um, making plant-based eating a bigger part of their life. Because my daughter, who is 21, uh, who has food allergies, became a vegetarian probably three to four years ago. And it's really been fun, but also challenging. Uh, And we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when I come back from it, I want to hear about how you got your family on board and um, about some of your favorite recipes. We'll be back after a quick break. Summer fun equals sun. Want to make sure the sun looks good on you? Meet Soleil Toujours. More than a sunscreen, Soleil Toujours offers luxurious coral reef safe, non-toxic formulas with all mineral UV protection, which moisturize and nourish your skin. Potent antioxidants, vitamins, and botanicals pamper and protect you. It's skincare for sun. I stock my beach bag with their clean, conscious antioxidant sunscreen mist and their divine Mineral Alley Hydra Lip Masks. Each makes me feel protected and polished during summer and beyond. Make protection from the sun's harmful rays a daily routine, not just a beach day consideration. 
Want to let the sun shine in? Soleil Toujours has a sun-kissed offer for a certain age listeners. You get 20% off anything with code KD20 at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Keep the beauty you were born with. Head to Soleil Toujours. That's S-O-L-E-I-L-T-O-U-J-O-U-R-S for luxurious all-mineral sun care. Beauties, the sun looks good on you. Okay, Jenny, we're back from the break, and I want to hear about how your family got on board with becoming more plant-based. We are including more and more plant-based recipes into our lives because my daughter eats vegetarian. We make a lot of deconstructed meals where we'll do like taco bowls, and then my you know sons will put on steak and chicken, and she'll do you know barbecued um, cauliflower or something. So we, we do a lot of that, but I'm, I'm curious about... How did you get everyone on board with veggie? Was it a you know was it a family decision? Was it something you encouraged? Tell us. Um, yeah, I mean, we basically you know the beauty of having older kids is that they're bringing ideas to the table as much as you are, and um, they were reading you know about what was happening to the environment, and they were coming home and talking to us about um, you know how we could make such a difference by dialing back on meat. You know, they, we'd been doing the meatless Monday thing kind of haphazardly over the years, but like, we really felt like we could do better than that. And we, I'm, I was at an advantage that I had, you know, two, three willing players in this game. Um, And so they were, they all wanted to make it work, which was nice. Um, But, you know, if you don't have that situation, there's so many ways to do it because I mean, first of all, like if you looked at your repertoire of, of meals right now, I'll bet you could come up with like six or seven that are plant-based already without even really like earmarking them that way. Right. Do you sure. like, if you, yes, think absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It's like when I did that, I was like, Oh, well we have salad pizza all the time. Everyone loves that. We have black bean burritos. Everyone loves that. We have butternut squash soup. I mean, we had tons and tons of them. So like in some ways, like if you're, if you're cooking for little kids, you might want to, and you have those to lean on, you might want to just not even tell them you're going plant-based, you know, and just be like, oh yeah, we're having, (laughs) that's what we like, we, we kind of like, once I started this, you know, I didn't really have like, we didn't just sit down and say, we're going to do this. Like I kind of did it on my own. And I remember my daughter, like, even though she was totally on board with not eating meat, she kind of said to me, like, after, like, two weeks or so, she was like, I haven't really seen a piece of chicken on this dinner table in a while. So, like, you know, it did take her a little while to pick up on the fact that we were doing it. But, like, I didn't, I just didn't announce it. And it was, like, and I think in a lot of ways that helped and it made you realize that you could do it. But, um, you know, the other thing you can do is, like, just what you said you were doing with your family is, like, always have options just for everybody, like you have the tacos and you have the beans and avocado and everything, but you also just have like a small thing of, um, you know, the steak or the turkey or whatever else your kids like. And then, so they, you know, but just like the, they get used to seeing the way it's supposed to look, which is just plant-based, but no one's going to starve if there's just something waiting in the wings in the beginning. And I think that's a nice way to ease into it. Yeah, that um, makes so much sense to just um, to to figure out the recipes that you're cooking all the time and then just figure – because we also do a lot of things like when you said your sort of go-to recipes, all summer long we've been eating this arugula, watermelon, feta salad, 
<laughs> and we will occasionally, you know, put um, shrimp on top of, top of it or, you know, grilled flank steak for the people in the house who are eating that, whereas my daughter might be having grilled tofu. So, you know, you can always figure out ways of, of kind of mixing and matching a little bit. But yeah. I mean, it's it's hard in the beginning, but then like you see, you can do it and um, you know, another thing that we we did a lot was we looked at our old favorites that did have meat in it and thought about ways like, oh, would they work with um, if we just, you know, kind of gave them a makeover? And some of them don't necessarily work. Well, what's an example that. of something that does work? Like, for instance, we like have a if you've read the blog, you've probably made this that we have a turkey chili that we've been making forever. And yes. it's a really basic turkey chili recipe. Um, and so we just decided to you know, like slowly omit the turkey. So we would like, it calls for um, beans. I think the original recipe called for black beans, but so we just sort of slowly started upping the beans and then kind of decreasing the turkey. And then eventually the turkey just kind of disappeared altogether and it was fine. So, um, you know, you can probably do that with um, um, like, I mean, chicken noodle soup, I'm thinking, I don't know, like you can have, um, I, this there's no recipe for this in the book, but I'm just thinking like you could do vegetable broth with noodles and carrots and onions, and probably no one would really no miss would the chili. exactly. You know, it's funny um, you mentioned the chili because I don't think this was your recipe, but my husband makes this wonderful black bean chili, and he um, he sort of um, I, this is not going to be like the this culinary term, but he like smashes the beans so they become mm-hmm. almost like a paste, and it it really has like a richness to it that. They're they're not like standalone beans. They're they've kind yeah. of they're like if you can imagine like muddling your chili. It's like it's a good consistency kind of like Yeah, exactly. And it has that like meatiness to it, which is so amazing. Um Jenny, also, I'll ahead. also just say that like this is something that I've done for cooking for kids in my whole career, but I really kind of upped the ante with it um, with vegetarian cooking. But like we, I made a point to always, especially in the beginning, there's a whole chapter in my book about this called um, making sure you have a hook. Um, and like there always has to be one hook on the plate, meaning like one thing on the plate that you're excited to eat. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like super healthy. It can be just like yogurt, flatbread, um, you know, which is just, well, I think, you know, we have, I have like a kind of a spicy red lentil stew in the book and no one was really that excited about eating it. But then I (laughs) added a homemade flatbread to it and homemade flatbread is as easy as making pancakes. It's so easy. Um, and if you add yogurt to it, it's like, it just gives it a nice tang and, um, and, you know, fresh, warm bread right out of the skillet. Like, you know, that's the most exciting thing you can put on the dinner table in my house. And oh, so my when God. My 14-year-old, yes. He wants to come eat with you. He is all about bread. That sounds yummy. Yeah, and if you're scooping up the, like, lentils with that, then they're not going to be so hard to, you know, to choke down. So, um, so I kind of feel like th- – and I have tons of hooks like that and suggestions in the book. But, um, you know, like a hook could be my daughter was – loved Caesar salad dressing. So we started just like having Caesar salad dressing in the, in the refrigerator all the time and using it for every salad. And so, or using it on like chickpeas and, um, I saw that on your, I think on your social media recently, it was like chickpea Caesar salad. I was like, that sounds so delicious. Like That is like literally the recipe that converted um, and you roast the chickpeas, right? Just to be clear, it's not like hummus. One of chick- the hooks, you know. It's like you basically you can roast them or you can pan fry them in um, like in a deep skillet. But 
yeah, you just like toss them in olive oil. Um, if we're doing it on the, on the, in a skillet, you pour like um, a generous amount of olive oil and, and then in the pan, and then you just add your chickpeas like as dried as possible, just cause they'll spit otherwise. Um, and then just keep them still. You don't have to toss them constantly. You want them to get crispy over like medium heat, toss, 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 maybe like, Eight to ten minutes later, you just using a salada spoon. You take them out, put them on a paper towel lined plate. Add like salt, pepper, cayenne, smoked paprika if you want, or none of those, or just salt and pepper. It's fine. Um, but then that's like that to me is like kind of replaced the goat like chicken pieces for like just the thing that I kind of default to when I'm like, what's my protein tonight? And so like you use those, I'll use those crispy chickpeas in like a Caesar salad. That's like my kids' favorite dinner now. Um, or I'll just like add it to that yogurt flatbread with like some tamarind sauce and some yogurt, or I'll add it to like a bowl with, um, barley and in the winter, like some Brussels sprouts and some sort of a nice, um, dressing, you know? So it's like the beginning of a dinner and we, and that's, I'm lucky in that I've convinced my kids to like them, but like <laughs> chickpeas, chickpeas, like when they were just like kind of raw and whirled into hummus, like didn't excite my children at all. But shocking when you fry them, they, they, of they course, like everything is good when it's fried. It's funny that you said that with the yogurt too, because we stumbled across this recipe. I think it was on the smitten kitchen, another blog that I follow. And it's uh, the same thing. It's sort of like roasted chickpeas with papri- smoked paprika, which is just like so divine. And I, I had never used it before. And then she she does it with um, roasted sweet potatoes, which are are cooked um, kind of like in a honey chili you, yeah. you know, sauce. And it's like hot and smoky. But then you serve it with um, Greek yogurt that you've mixed lemon into. So it's like it cuts, yeah. cuts, like, cuts the heat. It's so delicious. Like a, I think smoke. Paprika is a very crucial ingredient in a in a vegetarian pantry, just because it kind of mimics that like bacony flavor that you can, you know, it it's it's an it makes up for a lot that's missing. So yeah, it's we, so good. It. Some people don't like feel very strongly against it, but I use it. I have a recipe. I feel for very it. strongly for it. I think <laughs> people need. <laughs> but even, it can be overused, I think. But like, okay. I have a recipe that I make all the time called like smoky tangy. Um, pinto beans that are like the base of a burrito bowl and like they're you basically just like um add pinto beans that they can be canned obviously you drained to like with to onions you you saute onions and garlic and maybe some red pepper flakes and then you um add tomato paste and the beans and then toss add smoked paprika garlic um I can't remember what else, but then like, so they're like, it's, it's like a smokiness and then you take them off the heat and you pour red wine vinegar into them. So they're kind of tangy and smoky and they, um, are delicious, like on just like on brown rice with, um, just your classic kind of burritable toppings, or they're just like delicious on their own. Like they're so there and it's the smokiness that it really gives them the depth, um, even if they're cans, you know, and I think that smoked paprika helps to hide a little bit of the, the tinniness that you can get from canned beans if you're using beans from a can. So this um, is making my mouth water. I was joking at the beginning that people are going to be hungry. And I'm literally like, we're recording this close to lunchtime. And I'm like, all I want are smoky pinto <laughs> beans right now. Um, food is such a big part of, of you know of our lives. And, and I think it's such a big part of what makes summer fun because we eat stuff in summer we don't get, you know, other times of the year. I mean, it's watermelon, it's popsicles, lobster rolls, like all of this delicious stuff. Do you, do you have a go-to summer dish? 
Um, yeah, I mean. How about for weekday dinner and then a go-to summer dish for like when you're like like splashing out and it's a big, like it's a party and you're entertaining? Um, well, you know, it's funny when I'm a party, when I'm having a party, I'm entertaining and splashing out. It's not, doesn't look that much different from my <laughs> I don't know how to use that gear. I'm like literally always in the like home, homey, like food that everyone recognizes and likes gear. Yeah, that's but, a good gear. Um, yeah. Um, no, I would say like, so from like a go-to, um, like if, if it's a fish night, like, I mean, our salmon salad is pretty popular on the blog. That is um, one of my favorite. I'm, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you, but I get so okay. excited because that is literally one of my favorite dishes from Dinner Love Story. And I can still remember serving it to my kids. And my husband's like, I don't know if they're going to eat salmon. And it became something that we all love to eat. So I want to thank you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. I don't know why that recipe is so appealing, but it is. And it's it's, it's so simple. Oh, it's and so yummy. And the avocado and the potatoes and the green beans. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's still, it's like summer in a bowl. It's yummy. Yeah. We eat it year round, but like right now, like um, when we're recording this, like in early August, this is like the prime time to make it just because the corn and the tomatoes are good. And also you can grill the salmon as opposed to just roasting it, which I think adds such a nice dimension. But um, for people who are listening, like who don't know it, it's like a, it's a, you just basically toss grilled salmon with, um, with vegetables that are have all been boiled in the same water so it's like also like a really easy like minimal pot dish so like you simmer your corn and your green beans and your potatoes and you just keep scooping everything out with a slotted spoon and then you toss that with good tomatoes and cucumbers and scallions and 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 whatever dressing you want i use like a really basic all-purpose you know red wine based vinaigrette but really anything you want and then herbs and it's so hearty and like filling and healthy and just it's just I never get sick of it but um so that would be like I would say my go-to favorite summer meal for right now and then truthfully I would make that for guests too but like if as long as we're talking like I, I really I swear to god I make like the same thing every time <laughs> people come over but like I I love uh just there's a picnic chicken on my blog um where you just the hardest thing about it is you just have to marinate the chicken pieces in um in the marinade for 24 hours and it's like a soy sauce orange juice olive oil smoked paprika um <laughs> kind of marinade and um there's onion and garlic and you you make that in a blender and then you marinate the chicken in it and it gets so flavorful and then you grill it and you can make it ahead of time if you want because it's like great at room temperature it's great warm and then like the salads are where i kind of go off like whatever is fresh at the market I'll just surround it that like a big platter of that picnic chicken with um with something with some kind of special um salad like just if it's tomato season even just like sliced tomatoes yeah, with like, like red onions we love sliced tomato red yeah. onion balsamic if you I love that you said you have to like get a little bit organized and do it 24 hours in advance because I do think that sometimes when you marinate stuff it really does make such a difference like yeah that. it does it does and like I made the mistake of writing like recently like oh my god that picnic chicken like my because my neighbor like this is like how my life is like everywhere I walk people like oh your picnic chicken's marinating in my fridge right now like everyone is it's so funny in my on my block like everyone's always cooking what I'm making but the um but one my neighbors was like oh um I'm gonna make it tonight and I'm just gonna start marinating it now do you think it'll be okay and I was like oh, of course it'll be fine and like well how bad could it be and then like I got the text from him the next day that was like ah 
not as close 24 hours. And so I was wrong, but maybe, but I think maybe he was comparing it to the 24 hour one. Like if you're just having it, you know, like having never tried the 24 hour marinade. I'm sure it's still delicious. I know I I'm, I'm, yeah, my husband's like very organized and, and very much like a 24 hour marinator. And I'm very much your neighbor where I'm like, let's just throw some stuff on this and hope it works out. <laughs> I love something like when you think if you can think ahead to do the 24 hour marinade, it's so nice because that's like all the work. And yeah, it's like, totally. Yeah. Marinades like are magic. They, they make a big difference. So, um, Jenny, I want to ask you a question. When I when I um, look to see about having you on the show and figure out how I can get in touch with you, like I Googled you and I was trying to find your phone number and then I just, you know, approached you through your website and you said yes, which made my day. But when I did Google you, not like a creepy stalker, but just like as a research, I saw a piece that you wrote recently for the New York Times on seven cookbooks for summer. And I'm going to put that link to that article in the show notes. I'm also going to put put a link to that delicious salmon um, salad in the show notes. Uh, but I want to ask you, you know, was it hard to select only seven books? And for our listeners, if they were going to pick one, like, which is the one they shouldn't miss from that list? Oh, boy. It is really hard. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really hard to um, pick those books, I have to say. I've, do, I've done that roundup. The Times does a um, a fall cookbook roundup and a spring slash summer cookbook roundup. So I've done a couple of those before. And it's always like, it's A, it's a lot of work. So like every time they assign it, I'm like, do I really want to do this because it's but it's all work that it's like, you know, nice work if you can get it kind of work. So totally. I always end up saying yes, of course. And um, and yeah, and then I get just tons of cookbooks sent to my house and I get to pour over all of them and read people's personal stories. I'm such a sucker for the ones where they're like love letters to their mothers, you know, those kinds of books yes. like where they they just don't know how they learned to cook. And then here are these like unbelievably beautiful, simple, gorgeous recipes. And um but um, I would say this this year's crop, um, the Hedy McKinnon book is amazing, To Asia with Love. Um, she would laugh if she heard me say this because I, there's literally not like a platform that I have access to that I haven't promoted it on. Like, I just really love her book. It's um, She's um, Australian, um, born to Chinese immigrants, and she, she was always trying to assimilate um, she didn't really discover who she was until she started cooking her mother's food. Um, her food is just a mashup of, um, Chinese, traditional Chinese cooking, but also this with Western influences. And she just really, her flavors are flavors that I love. Um, and the book is called to Asia with love and I've been cooking from it all summer. I just love it. It sounds fabulous. I'm, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I know picking a favorite out of that list is probably like picking your favorite child, but that one does sound really special. Um, I, Jenny, we're approaching the end of our time together, but I thought we could do something fun that I've been doing this season if you're up for it. It's a kind of a speed round. Would you, would you be willing yeah. to do this with me? Sure. This is like a bing, bada bang, like quickie, quick, quick. So favorite vegetable? Tomato. Most underrated vegetable? zucchini at least in my house i i grew up loving zucchini and my my family just hates it and it makes me crazy so i i still have yet to figure out ways to glorify it but um but yes underrated in my house not in the world the poor zucchini okay pantry superhero pantry superhero um wow um that is a really hard one let me think i'm like 
completely blanking. I think smoked paprika belongs on that list. <laughs> sure, smoked paprika, just because it's, yeah, tip of tongue. But, um, oh, my God, I'm not in my house right now or else I would open the pantry. I mean, like a really good olive oil, obviously, is like crucial to everything. But um, that's a good uh, one. That's a good one. How about this one? This might be easier. Never in your grocery cart. Never in my grocery cart. Olives. Okay. I, can, I don't can like I, olives. I can't get behind that one. <laughs> no one can. It's very strange. I don't expect anyone to get behind me on it. Uh, okay. You will pry this kitchen tool out of my cold, dead hand. As wooden spoon or a slotted spoon or a spatula. I use those on repeat. Okay. The one dish that cannot be effed up. Um, I mean... I love a braise. You know, you can't mess up a braise, like a braised pork shoulder or a braised chicken. Like you can't, it's just the, the more you forget about it and ignore it, the the better and meltier and more tender it gets. Yes, I, I agree. That's a very forgiving cut of meat and a very forgiving mm-hmm. treatment. Okay, how about this one? It might be a little tricky. It's a little bit what we just did. Your, but your favorite cookbook, hands down, not just your summer cookbook, but what is your, what is your go-to? What is your, your cookbook Bible? I mean, that's like literally impossible, but I will tell you the <laughs> one that is the most like sentimental, I would say, is Marcella Hazan's um, uh, Classics of Italian Cooking, which is where my husband gave me, uh, no, sorry. Oh my God, I completely made that up. I bought a copy on my way home from Italy where I was with my soon-to-be husband and I was went up to the bookstore owner and I said I want to learn how to cook like they do in Italy and I was like 21 years old and I literally like was cooking with garlic powder instead of real garlic and didn't know the difference and he handed me that book and I like to this day I always think of that as such an amazing moment that he knew to do that I mean and Marcella Hazan is obviously the master and her way of cooking just like simple Italian food um is just my that's my jam I love it. We have that on our shelf, too. It's a great one. Okay, here's my last one. All winter long, I wait to eat this summertime favorite. Oh, I mean, I just wrote about this yesterday, but corn and tomatoes, don't ask me to choose, but the two of them together, I just, we've had them for dinner almost every night since we've been on vacation and just coming up. I I don't even have to come up with new ways to eat it. I'm happy to eat a tomato raw and corn on the cob with butter every night and be happy. Yum. I'm with you. Only in summer. Jenny, this has been so much fun. And I'm not even kidding. I am like going to literally hang up our our call here and text my friend Katie and and just tell her how much fun I had. I I so appreciate your finding time to um, squeeze the show in. I know you're on vacation. Uh, I loved hearing about, um, you know, uh, Weekday Vegetarians, which is coming out. And I would love for you to tell our listeners where they can keep finding your food recipes and all your inspiration and, and where they can find the book and when it's coming. You can find my book, The Weekday Vegetarians, at anywhere books are sold. Um, and you can find me on Substack. I have a newsletter that I send out once a week. Um, it's called Dinner Love Story. And um, I'm on Instagram, Dinner Love Story, and on Twitter at Dinner Love Story, no A. Um, but yeah, all the usual places. Thank you so much, Jenny. This was an absolute blast. I will be cooking you all summer long. <laughs> I hope cooking my food and not me. <laughs> yes, yes. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. I hope you'll join me this Wednesday for a special birthday show. That's right. A Certain Age is celebrating one year of podcasting and aging out loud. 
Tune in Wednesday for a show of birthday fun, giveaways, and more. And next Monday, we have the last of our August shows. I'm joined by the founder of Camp Powerment, which brings the spirit of summer camp fun, community, and personal development to women across the country all year long. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. <laughs>